Hey friends, my name is Ryan Hughley. I'm lead pastor of Ridgeline Church in Salt Lake City, Utah, and I want to welcome you to our podcast. We're working to build a community position to experience God in daily life. Our weekly teaching is one piece of that work. So as you listen to this week's message, my prayer is that you would hear God inviting you to respond to his love and his desire for you. For more information, you can visit ridgeline.church. We are in the midst of a series right now called Invitations in the Desert. And in this series, we are exploring how it is exactly that God forms us and how he goes about bringing new life in the desert seasons that we all experience, uh, the desert season that many of us feel and find ourselves in right now. And so to that end, I want to start with, with this. I wonder if you have ever considered what a crushing weight it is to carry a burden that's beyond your capacity. Now we've all experienced that in, in like a physical sense, right? Where you've carried a burden that was beyond your capacity to carry. One of, uh, one of Tammy and I's for a while, one of our favorite things that we have done together is we had a couple of years where we were running a bunch of Spartan races together. And, uh, and in these, Spart- if you've never seen a Spartan race before, they have various lengths. I think it's like three miles, nine miles, and 15 miles. And in these runs that happen to be in the mountains are always mixed in obstacles. And so when it came to these races that we were doing together, we weren't trying to like win. We were just trying to have like a, I guess a healthy date. It's really weird masochistic date. But um, we each had different strengths and weaknesses. Like when it came, there's a spear toss and I, I had some proficiency in the spear toss. Tammy, not so much. I think she's missed it like all nine times. It's a point of major frustration. Ask her today when you see her like, hey, how's spear toss go for you? It'll just be funny to see what her response is. Uh, but, but here's like, when it came to a bucket carry, she was like light years beyond me, which is humbling to acknowledge. Because here's how the bucket carry works. You, have a, you, you come to this obstacle, you pick up a five gallon bucket, like one of those big Home Depot ones, and you take it up to this big pile of rocks. You fill it with rocks, and then you carry it about a quarter of a mile up the side of a mountain and then back down. And immediately when I would fill this thing up and pick it up, like my, my arms started to burn right away. So much so that a number of times I had to set it down, not Tammy. She goes into like a completely other mode, Carrie usually lapping me on the way back without even so much as like, hey babe, you're doing great. Doesn't even acknowledge I'm there doing well. She's just like, you're embarrassing me. That's what's happening right now. You need to pick up your bucket and let's finish this race. So, so my, my point is just to say, we, we've all experienced in a physical sense um, how uh, heavy it can be to try to carry a burden that's beyond our capacity. But the truth is we don't just experience this in a physical sense. We also can experience this in a spiritual sense as well. See, oftentimes I find that, and I'll speak for myself here, but I think this is probably a pretty shared experience for all of us, Oftentimes, I function as though my formation in my life, my spiritual formation, is primarily accomplished by me. So oftentimes, when we think about our formation, when when it comes to our pursuit of it functionally, we function as though it's done by us. So as an example, like when when we read something in the scriptures about how we are, when when Jesus is asked a couple of different times, what is the greatest commandment? 
He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus summarizes the entire Old Testament law by two things, love God, love people. So what happens is we, we read commands like that, that we're supposed to love one another. And we think, all right, I got I to gotta get myself to be a more loving person. Or we, we read commands like we're supposed to be self-controlled. And so we think, all right, I really got to like double down on my discipline and be a self-controlled person. We see how over and over again, Jesus is portrayed as having this deep well of compassion within him that drives everything that he says and does. And we think, all right, I'm following the way of Jesus. I need to make myself more compassionate. Now, here's the problem with that. Formation is not something that is primarily done by us, but something that God accomplishes in us. And that sounds like kind of a subtle difference, but the order of this is everything. Formation is not something primarily that we do to ourselves. It is something that God accomplishes in us. Now, remember this definition for spiritual formation that we've been using. It is a faith-filled process, which we talked about last week, of being formed. And that language is intentional and it's specific. It is a process of being formed. So first and foremost, as we are formed into the image of Christ, it is something that God accomplishes in us. And when we forget that, when we forget that, we come under a crushing weight of carrying a burden that is beyond our capacity. And one of the signs that you've slipped into that place is when following Christ starts to feel more like this exhausting experience rather than a life-giving one that Jesus intends for us. And so especially when we find ourselves in these desert seasons of life, it is critical that we answer the invitation of God to embrace surrendered relationship. That is the way that we position ourselves to be formed by God. We embrace surrendered relationship. And so let me start with this big idea, and then we're going to unpack this for the rest of our time together. If you like to take notes or write stuff down, make a note of this. Our big idea is this. Christ is formed in us as we live in surrendered relationship with him. Christ is formed in us. We are transformed by God from the inside out into the image of Christ as we live in surrendered relationship with him. And so for the rest of our time, there's really two things that I want to be super clear by the time you leave this morning. And the first one is this. Number one, God is the source of our formation. God is the source of our formation. Now, the key word there is the word source. Now, it's not to say, as we'll see in just a few minutes, it's not to say that we have no role to play and no responsibility in our formation, but it's so important that we make the distinction that we are not the source of change and transformation within us. God is the source of our formation. And I don't know too many places in the scriptures that make that more clear than Philippians chapter two. So if you have a Bible or an app in front of you, uh, pop open Philippians chapter two real quick. I wanna just look at verses 12 and 13. Let me just read them both to you to start. In verse 12, the apostle Paul 
He's just got done uh, calling a church to unity, uh, calling these followers of Jesus to exemplify humility in their lives and their relationship with one another. He holds up Jesus as the chief example of humility who humbled himself to the point of becoming obedient to death on a cross. And he comes out of that then in verse 12 and he says this, therefore, my dear friends, just as you've always obeyed, so now not only in my presence, but even more in my absence. Now here it is, listen to this. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is working in you, both to will and to work according to his good purpose. All right, so here's the point. If you look at those two verses, our responsibility in our relationship with Jesus is to respond to God's forming work in us. And I think the easiest way to see that within these verses is actually to look at them in the reverse order, okay? So let me read verse 13 to you again. Notice this. He says, For it is God who is working in you both to will and to work according to his good purpose. So, so think source. Who or what is the source of, of our formation? Well, clearly it says right there, God is working in us both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So, so notice that God is working in us doing two things. To will, meaning to, to desire. That the sheer fact, if you're here this morning and you're like, I have some semblance of desire in my heart to follow and to walk with God, that didn't come from you. That came from God. He put that inside of you. He has given us this desire, the will to, to work, meaning to actually respond to the things that he's inviting us to. So again, think about this source. He is the source. We get this desire from him to walk with him, to be transformed by him, and we get the ability from him. Verse 13 leaves no doubt that he is the source of our formation. But again, we do have a role to play which Paul gives us in verse 12. He says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So notice how Paul invites us to action, but he also prescribes the attitude with which we pursue that action. Now, a couple of things in that verse I think that are really important for us to see, or they could be a little confusing and really get us sideways. First of all, I want you to notice that Paul says, work out your salvation. He does not say, work at your salvation. That is a very, very different choice of words. And the words matter. We do not work our way to salvation. Amen? That's the message of every religion with the exception of Christian faith. We do not work our way to salvation. What we do, according to Paul, is we work out the effects of it. And that's totally different. Eugene Peterson explains it as, he says, be energetic in your life of salvation. That's how he translates the original Greek. Be energetic in your life of salvation. See, sometimes I think that we forget to be, quote unquote, saved means a lot more than just securing our eternity. And for too many years, especially here in the West within Protestant Christianity, we have thought of salvation as primarily this means of securing our eternity. So it's like this Willy Wonka golden ticket that we get. 
And we're like, all right, I prayed my prayer. I've got my ticket and I get to go to heaven when I die. And that's been the exclusive understanding of what it means to be quote unquote saved. But we forget that to be saved means receiving a new way of life right now. It's receiving a new life of devotion, of peace, of joy, of contentment, and service. So when we, when we read these words, work out your own salvation, think of it in terms of like, work the effects of your salvation into every facet of your life. See, our salvation, again, it's not just about eternity. Our salvation, being followers of Jesus now, has everything to do with the way that we think about our emotional and mental health. It has to do with working it into our marriages, our relationships, our parenting, our vocation, our recreation and hobbies. We're working that all in. Like, have you ever seen someone, like, put a rub on a piece of meat before they grill it? You don't just, like, sprinkle it and throw it on. It's got to be worked in. Or like when you're making enchiladas, Didi knows this, when you're making, you got to fold in the cheese, right? That's a Schitt's Creek joke. If you, did, if you missed that, that was funny and you just missed it. My point is you got, we're, we're, we, we have to work in the effects to every facet and every aspect of our lives. And one of the ways, maybe the primary way that we do that is by having the right attitude when it goes to pursuing this action that God's invited us to. He says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, I remember being a kid in church and hearing all of this talk about fearing God and feeling very unsettled by that. Because the things that I remember scaring me was like the Wizard of Oz, right? I don't know why we show that to movie to kid, that movie to kids. It is not a kid's movie. I'm 41. It still haunts me. So when I thought fear, I was thinking like terror. But the truth is, when the Bible talks about fearing God and have an attitude of trembling, it's this reverential awe. So to work out our salvation with fear and trembling means to work it out with reverence and with response. So I want you to think about someone in your life, or maybe someone in the world that you don't even know, but someone you really hold in very high regard, someone you respect very, very much. Now here's what I know. When, when someone comes to you that you respect very, very much, and they have something to speak into your life, maybe even something that they want to challenge you with, when they have something that they want to impart to you and you respect that person, it informs your posture, right? You listen deeply. If somebody comes to you that you don't really respect or know and they have something to, to say to you, you barely care because you don't respect them. But if you have a reverential attitude towards someone, then you're going to listen to what they say you're going to contemplate it deeply, actually think about it, and then you're going to respond appropriately. You're not going to just disregard it. You're going to put into action what needs to be put into action as a result of what this person has said to you. That's kind of what it's like to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. It means that when we're reading the scriptures or when God speaks to us or communicates with us in some way, we listen closely, we contemplate and hold what it is that he has said to us considering and trying to discern, Lord, how, do you, how are you inviting me to respond to what it is that you're saying to me? That's how practically we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. So notice in this verse, when it comes to our formation, 
We do have a part to play, but I want it to be so crystal clear in our hearts and minds that God is the source of that change. And I know that that sounds like a very subtle distinction, but I think you'd agree that just because something is subtle does not mean it's not significant, right? So think about the, 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 the like, as far as like something being subtle, but significant, think about the, the, the difference between a coral snake and a king snake. Raise your hand if like me, you hate snakes, okay? That's good, put your hands down. Raise your hand if you like snakes. Something, yeah, yeah I caught you, you're like, no, I don't, he's gonna make fun of me, and I am. Because if you like snakes, you're the devil, okay? That's what, I, that's what I think. I don't know how anyone likes snakes. All right, but listen, coral snakes and king snakes, especially if you just happen upon one, they look very, very similar. But here's the difference. Coral snakes have a, a yellow and red band that are right next to each other, but a king snake has the yellow and the red band separated by a black band. Now, that's a subtle difference, but it's significant. You know why? Because the coral snake is like horribly venomous. The king snake is not. I say to be safe, kill them all. <laughs> that's my vote. I'm just saying, if you happen upon, like, it's so subtle that if you happen upon one in nature and you're like, hmm, let me see, do they have the, I can't see, I gotta get close enough, just stay away. But my point is just, it's a very subtle difference between those two with significant implications as to whether or not we get it right. And the same thing is true when it comes to the way that we understand the source of our formation, the source of our new life in these desert experiences. God is the source of our formation. But that's not all. The second thing I want to be clear for us this morning is this. Relationship, relationship is the motive of all spiritual practice. Relationship is the motive of all spiritual practice. This is a very important distinction that maybe, maybe some of us haven't ever really thought about before, but here's why this is so significant. When we think about, again, about growth in our lives, growth in spiritual maturity, when we think about spiritual formation, and we hear some sermon on like, it's important that we're maturing in our faith and being formed in Christ. Here, here, what happens is we tend to hear that and we go, all right, I got to double down on my spiritual practices. I got to double down on the spiritual disciplines. I need to read my Bible more. I need to pray more. I need to be at church every week. I need to be in relationship and community with people. I need to really, really, really get after this. Now, here's what's so tricky about that. That's not entirely wrong. Our spiritual practices do play a critical role in our formation. They are an essential ingredient, but God is the source. So the motive with which we pursue spiritual disciplines and we pursue spiritual practice in our life, the motive matters. Because the truth is you can do the right thing for the wrong reason, and the difference between the two is one that honors God, fosters relationship with him, and the other is damning to us. And the truth is, Jesus is the one that makes that clear for us in Matthew chapter 7. So if you have a Bible, go left in your Bible to Matthew 7. Now this is just at the end of Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount, and this is where he begins to close in verse 21. And we're going to look at three verses. He starts this way, he says, Not everyone 
who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. Now, I don't know about you, but that verse kind of makes me stop for a second to take stock of what it is that Jesus has just said. Because it kind of sounds like, if you don't read closely, it kind of sounds like what Jesus is arguing for is works-based righteousness. It almost sounds like he's saying, yeah, if you, if you want to be saved, if you want to be in the kingdom of God and experience the kingdom life, then you need to obey. But the question is, what exactly does Jesus mean by the will of the Father? Because when we say, when we read this line from Jesus that says, only the one who does the will of the Father in heaven is going to experience the kingdom of God, what we do with that phrase, will of God, is we tend to import a long list of rules. So we import rules, whatever those rules, they vary for everyone, and they're all self righteous. But we import these rules in and we go, okay, well, the will of Father means. And Jesus says, if I don't do these things, I'm not going to be in the kingdom. But I, I want you to notice that this is not all that Jesus says. He has more to say. And he begins to help us think about what the will of the Father actually is. So he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. Verse 22, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name, drive out demons in your name, do many miracles in your name? So I want you to notice that Jesus anticipates this sort of pushback on what he's just said. This pushback that sounds like, whoa, whoa, Jesus, what do you, what do you mean we're not going to enter the kingdom? And, 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 and how can you say we have not done the will of, of the Father? Haven't we prophesied, spoken God's heart and mind into the lives of other people? That's that's got to be the will of the Father. I mean, haven't, haven't we driven out demons in your name? That's got to be the will of the Father. Haven't we done all of these things that you've asked us to do? Like, we, we have done all of them. How can you say that we are not going to be in the kingdom? And i got to tell you, I think that's a pretty fair question. If we were sitting there listening to Jesus say these things... I think that we would have good reason for some pushback as well. So again, it comes back to the question, in, in, in what sense is Jesus using this phrase, will of the Father? What does he mean by that? Well, we get to see in verse 23. He says, then I will announce to them, listen to these four words, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. I think those four words clarify everything that Jesus is after and talking about. He says, I never knew you. Do you know that Jesus' primary will is not spiritual activity for the sake of spiritual activity? Like just, just doing things to do them, doing things to appear righteous, doing things to try to make yourself righteous. Jesus is not fired up about that. He's not after spiritual activity for spiritual activity's sake. He's after spiritual activity for relationship's sake. He wants to actually know you. And all he has given us, spiritual, you pick your spiritual discipline, reading scripture, prayer, 
participating in a local church, serving, giving, any of these disciplines, fasting, anything that we practice, the motive behind all of them is always relationship. He's not trying to just turn us into like Zen Buddhist monks who are just chill no matter what's going on, though I do envy that because I'm just baseline angry all the time. But that's not what God's after. He's after relationship with us. And I find the longer that I walk with God, the more Christians that I know and meet, the more I become aware how few of us really have a sense of deep, intimate, genuine relationship with God. And that's a problem for us because it's the entirety of what it is that God is after with us. And it's the means by which he forms Christ in us. The practices are good. They're necessary. They're an ingredient, but they're not the source. Relationship with God is what transforms and changes us. Relationship with God is what brings new life in desert seasons. So relationship is the motive of all spiritual practice. Now, as we kind of come to the end of this this morning, as I think about the reality that God is the source, that relationship is the goal of our practice, I, I, I have a few implications that I think come out of this that I want to leave with you this, this morning. Here's the first of three. Number one, my role is to show up. My role is to show up. It is This is why I think Philippians 2 is so important for us, is it shows both. It shows that God is working in us, that he's the source, and that we have a role to play. Our role is to show up. The notion that at some point in your life, like especially in so many of my experiences as a kid and in so many of my friends' lives, it was like they, we, had, we all had this experience growing up in church of being at a youth camp, being invited to like come down and give our life to Christ. If you grew up like I did, you probably did that like 35 times. Like maybe this time it sticks. I'm not really sure. I even got baptized twice just to cover all my bases, you know? So... So we think sometimes, well, I mean, I, I, I came down the aisle and I prayed with a pastor. I'm, I'm good. So I'm just waiting now for either Jesus to come back or for me to die and he takes me home. But the truth is we have a role to play in this. It's not just about eternity. It's about now. It's about being transformed and formed in the image of Christ now. And for that to happen, my role is to show up to relationship with God. Imagine you have a friendship that you're trying to foster and trying to build but you never show up to be with that person. That will not form a relationship. It's very, very simple. It requires us to show up. So my role is to show up. Secondly, my focus is relationship. My focus is relationship. So I don't just show up to read my Bible and to mark that off my task list. I don't just pray to be able to check that box and say, I prayed today. The motive The goal, the focus of anything that we do is always relationship with God, including the desert. If you find yourself in a dry season right now, one of the best prayers that you could pray is, Lord, what, how are you wanting me to know you more in this season? It's hard. It's uncomfortable. It feels dry. I don't really have a sense of where you are and what you're doing 
but I know your goal is always relationship with me. So how are you wanting me to know you more in this time? So my role is to show up. My focus is always on relationship. And then thirdly, and I love this part, my circumstances are ripe. My circumstances are ripe. Now here's what... Here's what I think we have to be super careful about when it comes to our formation. Oftentimes, we think like, well, what I need to have is I need to have like a dynamic, supernatural experience with God. So I need to go like on a retreat or something like that. And in order to like really be formed, really go to the next level, I need to, to like orchestrate these perfect circumstances. Get some incense and some bells, whatever is your thing. <laughs> need to create this environment where I'm going to have this encounter with God and I'm going to be transformed in it. And listen, those, those things are great. Like if you're called Ridgeline Home, you know I'm in this two-year program uh, being trained in spiritual direction. And so I get to go to these four residencies over the course of this year and they have been profoundly transformative in my life. And it's been that kind of environment where it's just been this deep supernatural work of God every single time. I have this week set aside to just be with him and it's incredible. But oftentimes we think that's what it takes. So I've got to create this environment, the set of circumstances in order to be transformed. Now here's what I want you to rest assured at. Right where you are right now, no matter what's going on in your life, no matter the challenges that you are having in your relationships, maybe in a season where like I could not hate my job more right now. Maybe you are so frustrated with where we are in the political dynamic, the social dynamic that we're in. Whatever, whatever your circumstances are right now, I want you to know they are ripe. They are exactly what they need to be for Christ to form you in his image. It's exactly what they need to be. And I think oftentimes we miss that. And we think, man, if, if God would just get this thing out of my way, if he would just remove this thing I'm struggling with, if he would just take away this hardship, if he would just get me over this wall that I'm up against right now, then I could really have my heart set on being formed in his image. Maybe those are there for that very reason. Remember the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians when it's, he said three times he prayed that God would remove this thorn that he had? We don't know what the thorn was. But he's just praying, Jesus, take this thing away from me. Take this away from me. Take this away from me. And Jesus says, no. Jesus meant to use that thorn to help Paul experience a deeper reality of his own strength working in him. And that changed everything for Paul. He says, so now I boast in my weakness. I'm thankful that this thing is in my life, even though it hurts, even though it's uncomfortable, even though it's not my preference. I'm thankful that God has allowed this to be there because he is using it to draw me into deeper relationship and deeper dependence upon him. There is a way in which we can learn to see our greatest difficulties as some of the greatest gifts that God gives to us. If we begin to recognize that our circumstances are ripe for us to go deeper in relationship with God.
And so I want to invite you this morning to rest in that. Rather than be like braced against whatever's happening right now, instead of just grin and bear it mentality, what if we just took a deep breath and we exhaled and we chose trust and surrender? We surrender to the invitation to see everything as an opportunity to go deeper into relationship with God. Christ is formed in us as we live in surrendered relationship with him. And so I would invite you this morning, I'm gonna pray for us to close. And then Shanna's just gonna pray for a second. And I wanna invite you to take a moment to be able to reflect on what it is that you've heard this morning. Specifically, like what is the spirit of God stirring in you? What is he saying to you? What is he inviting you to? Maybe it's just a matter of, he's inviting you to see your circumstances differently. Maybe there is some specific spiritual practice that he's inviting you to this morning, not just to do it to do it, but to be in deeper, to know him more and to be known by him more. So I'm gonna pray for us and then I wanna invite you to consider what does it look like for you to step into more surrendered relationship with Jesus. During this time, you can also text in any questions that you have. So I'll pray. We'll take a time to reflect together this morning and then we'll do some Q&A. Why don't you bow your heads with me? Father, I, I, I thank you that it is not on us to transform ourselves. I thank you, Lord, that that's beyond our capacity because it takes the burden, the crushing weight of this burden that's beyond our capacity. It takes us, takes it out of our hands. I thank you that you are the one who does that work. And Lord, I, I just pray for anyone right now that feels weary and worn out from, from, from carrying the weight of being responsible for their own formation. Lord, would you just take that from them this morning? Help them to give that to you and to surrender to the reality that you are the one who does that work. And Lord, I pray that you would help us all to just hear this tender invitation this morning to just come and to be with you. Help us to understand that in our being with you, we are changed by you. Lord, I pray that you would give us a tremendous sense of peace and trust that you are quite capable. You are quite capable of transforming us more and more into the image of your son, Jesus, for the sake of others. Lord, teach us more and more what it means to live in surrendered relationship with you. And even now, as we take an opportunity to reflect would you give us ears to hear, eyes to see, and a heart to receive what you're saying to us this morning? In Jesus' name, amen.